This is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. Uh, I'm Dave Vanderveen, and uh, of course, uh, Kick Aspirational is all about breaking through personal barriers in a positive and encouraging way, and uh, helping other pilgrims in their journeys as we move down the road together. Today, I've got uh, my, my favorite uh, Laguna Beach priest, <laughs> Father Mac, Father Lester McKenzie, who is our new rector here uh-huh. at St. Mary's. But uh, didn't come from Saint. Didn't come from Laguna Beach. No. no, um, no. Father Mac, where where are you from, and uh, how do we get the benefit of having you in Laguna Beach? Ah, Mahalo, Dave. It's great to be here, man. It's a gift to be on this podcast with you. And um, I sound. I have a funny accent because I was born and raised in Southern Africa, South Africa. Born in Johannesburg, grew up in Cape Town, the mother city. Joburg and Joburg, Cape Town. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, my man. <laughs> wow. So, and, are you um, part Zosa? Hosa, yeah. So, Hosa. so, so Hosa. we have 11 official languages. And yeah. believe it or not, there were some South Africans here before Trevor Noah, so that's beautiful. But I dig <laughs> it. I dig it, Trevor. I dig it, brother. I, I love the South African accent. It's my so, favorite English accent. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so. Um, Tosa, we kind of mix that English Afrikaans Tosa. Yeah, there's a and, click, um, clicking sound. It's to the, the XH sound. Yeah. And so I remember just one of my, you know, we were always singing. And so yeah. uh, sometimes at St. Mary's, um, you know, one of my favorite songs, because I'm going to talk, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man of the cloth. I'm going to be talking about faith in Jesus. And so one of my favorite hymns as a kid growing up in the moms would sing is Kwazi Kwa Bonakala Tina Sofananaye. Ay Kwazi Kwa Bonakala Tina Sofananaye. Tina Sofananaye. Tina Sofananaye. When he comes, it shall be like him. When he comes, it shall be like him. And just this Jesus of Nazareth cat, man, that's talking about love. And so. Hossa, that, that when you sing it, it just has this rhythm to it. Yeah, this, deep rhythm. This because the some of the letters kind of mimics the sounds as well. So it, this is so, this is going to be a very American uh, perspective, but mm. it sounded it reminded me of Paul Simon there. For oh a second, yeah, right. Yeah, did, yeah. Did, were the singers that Paul Simon worked with Lady um, Smith from Black, South Africa? Lady Smith Black Mambazo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so it's a Hossa Zulu. Yeah. Kind of is, is, I would say, is like Spanish Portuguese. Okay. So there's a lot of similarities, a lot of sounds that sound similar. So, but there's that rhythm that if I, if there's one thing South Africans, I say we are, we are, we sing. Yeah. We sing even during apartheid, we sang. And I, because I grew up. I was going to ask. So you were, you were born and grew up during apartheid. Yeah. I was, I was born in 1974, the height 74. of disco, baby. Wow. So, and, I was um, five then. <laughs> well played. Well yeah, I was trying played. to disco, but I, you know, we're just 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 on the cusp. Yeah, and I had the gift of of growing up with my grandparents, and, mm. and so um, and I grew up in rectories. My grandfather was a priest in the Anglican Church in South Africa, and my grandmother was our fierce choir master. So she had us all singing <laughs> by a young age, and I remember uh, I'll always remember being in the states in Solvang somewhere, and I was pursuing my now wife romantically and she was hanging out with my whole family just happened to be in LA and and we all picked up instruments and started singing and she teases we we sounded like the African Von Trapps we were all singing (laughs) the African Von Trapps (laughs) because we all had my grandmother was just you know long distance uh, Royal School of Church Music and so she trained all our voices and that's what you did you sang it I remember vividly St. John's Rectory Belgravia Road that's my most vivid memories uh, of apartheid and and if you ever on youtube and you look up 
for example, the Trojan horse, Athlone, that was the neighborhood, that was where I, uh, my formidable years were, and also St. Mark's, Crawford, and uh, strange stories that I'm hearing even now as I reflect on those years with my grandfather, my grandmother, my family, I was shocked to learn that um, at St. Mark's, Steve Beagle came over to the church and um, he would stop by a lot and they wanted to have a conversation in the parish hall, but the police station down the street found out and so the police came to the church and so he just, he decided not to do that. So was Beagle at the time, so he was a, he was um, a, Kind of, he was being watched very carefully yes. by the, by oh, the yeah. South African government. Oh, yeah. He oh, was, yeah. Uh, how, how would you describe Biko for listeners who may be forgotten who Stephen Biko Steve Biko, Biko freedom fighter, <laughs> yeah. uh, a warrior, um, in, in the sense of uh, a warrior for justice, um, uh, 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 way ahead of his time. Um, I mean, he's talking about black consciousness and he's talking about equality and he's talking about people. Right. And he's doing this. In the seventies, I mean, because I, I, you can appreciate, um, pe- you know, interviews are gonna ask him, well, what happens if you do get a black government? And he's like, no, we, we, we're gonna be a, a country for people, and we'll have to navigate right. how we interact with each other and how we make things fair. Right. Um, so he was way ahead of his time. He was talking about things that we are, I feel like, engaging now. Right. Uh, well, it's 2019. You know, one of the things, I did a, a podcast with uh, a friend, Mark Fitzgerald, last night, mm. and uh, he wanted to ask me a little bit about mentorship. But one of the things he started out with was a quote I use a lot. I like to say, we're all made out of people. Yeah. Um, which comes from a belief that I was raised with, you know, in the Dutch Christian Reformed Church. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. In, in America, uh, which was that, uh, you know, we're all children of God. Yeah. And that, or, you know, if you're not religious, you might say we're all made from stardust. Effectively, we're yeah. all made out of the same stuff at yes. the core of us, yeah. regardless mm-hmm. of our skin color, religion, uh, you know, political beliefs, etc. Yes. However, Facebook tries to divide us. We're, we're all people at the, at the base <laughs> of it all. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> and, um, and so I think, you know, I think it's fascinating to hear at the height of apartheid. I don't, I mean, Sarah and I have been to South Africa. We've been to the apartheid museum. Yeah. Well, of course, we're not experts on everything mm. that was going on. But, um, but it struck me that one of, the, one, of the, one of the beautiful things about the apartheid museum is mm. it forces you to go through the experience of being a family ripped apart. Um, yeah. You know, you're divided yeah. uh, by whatever card you draw going into it. Yeah. And either you have the experience of a, you know, a colored person, a black person, or a, a white person, mm-hmm. yeah. and you see your family get separated into these different yeah. channels. And you start to realize, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure we're all, we're all people here. Yeah. Why are we treating each other so differently? Why aren't we treating each other with this? Particularly, you know, it was the Dutch South Africans that, yeah. that, that insta- created this model. Yes, yes. And uh, for me, growing up in America, it seems like a totally foreign... Uh, people, I don't understand how yeah. we could have separated. How we, how, how, how could we have come so far? Yes, I, th- I think part of part of what I'm recognizing and embracing more, even as a priest, I say sometimes, you know, part of my work is to redeem the kind of Christianity I've experienced. Right. Because uh, is it true and is it fair? So much has been done in the name of faith. Right. Um, and and I think what I heard sometimes as you play those black and white tapes back those in leadership said you know we we are the chosen people chosen by god and we need to help these poor black people we need to yeah. um those are language even, right. even if it was well intended it was still patronizing right right, yeah. right. but but any kind of you know uh, if we look through history and and i think both secular or theistic 
um, just the human creature is capable of profound violence and right. control. And I'm always fascinated uh, at all the justifications we will use yeah. so we can have our way. Right. Uh, and that I find quite interesting. Um, I guess maybe I'm one of the few clergy who really prays deeply and tries to engage um, evil and the shadow side of, yeah. of, of just the human experience and life. No, and, and I think, you know, to, to that point, it's, it's um, it, I, I talk about the hierarchy of freedom from time to time. You know, I think it starts at economic freedom, it builds into social freedom mm-hmm. and political freedom and ultimately, hopefully, religious freedom for people. Um, but I also think the hierarchy of control yes. happens along those lines, yes. and you know, which is why religion has been such a popular way to control people over the years when it's abused, yes. right? Which I think is what, in a lot of ways, Christ was coming to break down with the Second Temple Judaism. Yes, we yes, talked indeed. About it a lot. Um, and and what I find fascinating is, uh, and rightly so, the. I mean, when we look at our just the way our society is is, is shaped today, I can see the strong influence um, of Judeo-Christian. Um, ways of being a community. Right. We need some guidelines, but how do you? You know, I've I've always been fascinated. Yeah. When Constantine legalized Christianity, <laughs> I've I've always wondered, just just from a from a perspective of being a person. Right. You know, all of a sudden, you go from people on the margins to having an army. Right. I wonder how that changes your thinking as a community. How does when coercion, yeah. When you've been in the shadows, when you've been uh, breaking bread with women and children, and, and you have been this people of the way, these weird people who say <laughs> prayers and break bread with people they're not supposed cult, to. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. right? And then all of a sudden, things get, you know, he puts a, a cross and a totem and he wins a battle and like, you know, Christianity is legalized, or this uh, Christian, the people of the way, is legalized, and then, and then all of a sudden, you, you he's building seminaries, and and so I wonder, even just as 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 people who go train in these seminaries, all of a sudden you have right. access to, um, you know, very glamorous vestments. Uh, I don't know, maybe the rectories were really dramatic castles then because the local bishop had to sign paperwork if you're going to have any kind of farmer's market, any kind of taxes. Any, right. They were, well, they were part and parcel of the government, right. effectively. They were their own separate group, but they had right. like their own, it was like the judiciary versus the, the legislature right. or something. So right? how yeah. does that influence people right. and you, when you craving just basic things like, oh, well, I can get a little bit of money over there. Oh, sure. Well, it was. It became for 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 the for the royalty, right? It became your yes. kids would either go into you know the business of being a king, queen, prince, yes. marry marry into power someplace, inherit it, or you would send them to be a, become a bishop right. or you know a nun or or, or whatever. Um, equally, they were like equally valid, you know, yes. career paths for people of privilege and, yes. and 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 even then, I mean, theology was considered the queen of the sciences because that's why I admire uh, right. scientists right. as because that drove their theism, it drove them to ask deep questions. That's why sure. I truly admire. Them. There was there was no separation between philosophy, theology, and the sciences. It was no. all one. It was this. It was the theologies. Right. They were right? just asking different kinds of questions, and right. they were being in context. I mean, that's what fascinating fascinates me even about Darwin we forget that he had a sidekick right uh, because Darwin was um, Charles Darwin's dad was Erasmus Darwin and of course he's strongly influenced by the Enlightenment but Darwin had a, a partner who I re- I've read and I have to find that but he was arguing that the processes in which the protein shifts itself is just almost 
too precise. Right. You would almost say it is guided. Right. Which is why I'm into this new book, The Physics of Angels, by um, Rupert um, uh, Matthew Fox okay. and um, Rupert Sheldrake. Oh wow! Uh, uh, he, uh, Rupert Sheldrake is a biologist. Matthew Fox is a, a philosopher and theist, and they're exploring the physics of angels. And, uh, and is oh divine messengers of divine messengers right. yeah yeah no, I had a I was driving up to Mammoth um, last week with a good friend Pat Parnell uh, who I would kind of categorize as a you know healthy agnostic yes and um, we were talking about he you know, asked me if I believed in angels and I said well do you believe in aliens and you know and I I said you know I, I said, you know when when Carl Sagan discovered you know when we discovered through micro backwave a background microwave radiation yes. that the universe was not infinite yes that it had a starting point and that it's expanding and it was only you know less than 14 billion yes. years old um all of these probabilities became highly improbable in the, in the words of science right it yes. became almost impossible and so then you need other ways to describe why we're experiencing what we experience what we observe what we observe indeed and carl sagan who had been fighting the idea of god for probably a bunch of emotional reasons as, as well yes. as scientific reasons um, and I appreciate Carl Sagan. I think he's done a, yes, he did a great oh, job oh, explaining God, yeah. science. But he came up with, uh, I think it's called the transpermedial theory, that aliens deposited life. The reason that we're seeing this complexity is because aliens deposited life into this universe. Oh, yeah. And at that point, my question becomes, fine, but what's the difference between alien and God? What, right. are, we, what are we really talking about here? Right. And it's the same thing, I think, when people talk about angels or, or aliens. I mean, right. uh, let's not argue about the terminology. We're talking about people coming from someplace else to deliver some right. sort of message to us. What do these messages mean? So what's the book? What's the what's the premise of the book or what's the book? Well, thing? I think the, the book is trying to explore how you can even talk about something that mysterious and something that complex. Because even from the standpoint of scripture using light, I'm always fascinated um, about light and the use of light in mm. scripture. Because even from a scientific, from what I've read... Um, the faster you reach the speed of light, the heavier material becomes, the less it experiences time. Mm. So I'm curious, what does that mean when Jesus is described as this blinding light or or, or, or divine messengers brings you information? Mm. Uh, and how do they even experience time? Because surely um, you can't, I mean, I, I, when I'm dreaming, right. I'm, I can dream I'm surfing or something or in the ocean and it feels like I'm really there but I'm laying in my bed at my leisure right so it's possible to have an experience and outside of your body so I'm just fascinated what does that look like especially when we consider consciousness and because for me that's prayer how do I uh, you know how do I open up myself my my consciousness my deep thinking the deep eye to your david vanderveen's deep eye to that of the community to those around me and that's where i'm finding myself even more now right um all those experiences but in the now and what does that look like which is for me the christian mystics right that's always been the christian mystics for me and i'm and 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 that's why i admire people like the desert fathers and the desert mothers sure. because in 300s when the church was really at its height and, and, and booming, these cats, for me, they were the first psychotherapists. They, were, they went to the desert right. to explore what does it mean to be the human being. And for me, I'm excited because they came up with, or at least they, this, they explored these eight deadly thoughts, these patterns of thinking mm. that can lead you to a dark path. Right, uh, and from there, of course, the church, the organized church, takes its seven deadly sins, and yeah. we can, you know, um, 
I was going to use uh, how do we use it as a means of control? I don't right. know. But if, if it's, well, yeah, I think that's, I mean, the, the, the Desert Fathers were mystics, right? Yes. And they were exploring ideas that were kind of, I don't know if you call them non-rational, but maybe um, either pre-rational or, or yes. kind of extra-rational ideas. Um, ideas that couldn't be contained in yes. typical analytic thought, right? right? And, and so they were meditating. Yeah. They were uh, doing a lot of interior work. And they were removing themselves from the busyness of life so that they could focus on this interior work and these kind of concepts. Right. Um, I don't even think they were fully formed ideas most of the time. It was, right. what, what am I experiencing? What does this mean? Mm-hmm. How do, and then how do I talk about it in a way that connects other people to right. the energy that is God? Is that, is that, is that kind of an accurate Oh, that's a wonderful nutshell, yes. Because people like, for example, um, Amasinkletika, or my favorite, Abba Moses the Black, the Ethiopian. I mean, they, <laughs> they, they were really, they were already talking about, you know, getting out of your thoughts. Right. Like stopping your thinking. Right. Uh, because most thinking is repetitive thinking. Sure. And I, I mean, now there are people that are really engaging that more, but, but this was happening in 345. Sure. You know, in the deserts in Skeetus, in outside of Egypt, they were already exploring how do you slow your thinking down? How do you become embodied in the moment? How do you stay focused here in the now, in the body? Which fascinates me with when I when I read the parables, when I read scripture, because you know my passion is the book of nature tells me what I made of, the book of scripture tells me what I made for. And in scripture, it's all about healing. It's all about healing. It's right. all about being in the moment. It's all about the now. I mean, I'm fascinated as I reflect on my own journey, as you asked me where I was from, Cape Town, and, and Jesus says, follow me. And I realized I followed him with three boxes to Southern California. My first time on a big blue bus having eggnog <laughs> in 2000, you know, driving around with Mr. Lloyd Collins, who was a Buffalo soldier, and uh, oh, wow. Mrs. Collins, and uh, he grew up in New Orleans, and his dad was a poor man's porter, and he grew up in a shotgun house, and then I was like, what is a shotgun house? Yeah. Like, what if you open the front door, open the back door, you and you fire right a shotgun through, through yeah, and that's yeah, a shotgun yeah, yeah. house. So, and I've just met amazing people, and, and, I, and I look back and I go, oh, wow, three boxes, and I left South Africa, I left language i left food i left you left your people everything i knew that i assumed and did shape me Mm. but did it define me how did you get growing up in a in a home where your grandfather and your grandmother who were your effectively your parents yeah are very active in the church i've I've met your i think i've met both of them i met your grandfather for sure i think i met your grandmother um I mean, they are they are very refined um, Anglicans. Uh, probably a lot of fun as well. Oh yeah, but um, but uh, I mean, they seem very kind and generous people, mm, and, and I'm, I'm sure they're fun. But how did you? Did, was it a straight line? Did you were you raised in the church, and you were like, man, this is this is who I am. This is what my people do, and this is what I'm going to do. Mm, not really. Um, yes, I grew up in rectories, and 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 yeah. the the thing is, during apartheid. What I realize now was was church was a means of expressing who you are. Hmm. Because appreciate outside when the Caspers and the Buffels and there's burning of tires and all this craziness is happening, um, you just cover your boy, you right. nothing really but a church. You truly are seen. You are called to be yourself. You are singing joyfully. You are 
you are with your people, you are with community. And Being celebrated matter. for who you are. Right. Yeah. And so there was this glorious freedom. Um, it's like being at home. I really always felt at home. But no, no, no. I, I mean, after... And I learned to drive a car by driving my grandfather. My grandfather became Bishop Suffragan eventually. Uh, to somebody that most people know, Desmond Tutu. So Desmond right. Tutu. So did you get to spend a lot of time with the Tutus? I, Mama Leah and Baba Desmond. It was a gift to to see them quite a bit, and they stayed in Bishop's Court. We stayed in Newlands, and he was a suffragan for a long time. So I have plenty of pictures, and also my aunt was um, Bishop. Wonderful story that I that happened to me three weeks ago. I discovered a letter when Baba Desmond. Uh, when His Grace was still Bishop of Johannesburg, right? Uh, my aunt actually was in Laguna Beach. Oh, you're and kidding! She stayed with somebody in Emerald Bay. Yeah. Uh, and I found a letter where uh, His Grace wrote to St. Mary's saying, "Thank you that Vanessa, my aunt, Reverend yes. Vanessa McKenzie, could be with you." Uh, this was like 1986, I think. Oh, wow. And uh, it was a gift. Uh, and then this is the last time I'll be her bishop because the next year he was the archbishop. Wow. And so to find that letter That's signed amazing. by him in the archives of St. Mary's was just such a treat. We should frame that. It was That's such fantastic. a treat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because she, I, um, I think she was the first, Wilma Jacobson, who used to be in Pasadena, was the first woman ordained in South Africa, and my aunt was the first woman of color ordained. Oh, wow. And she would fly around representing oh, wow. His Grace, um, Archbishop Desmond, at different areas, different venues. And so she has some really cool pictures That's of people awesome. that she met. And so, yeah. so no, I took a path of, of, you know, I worked for Levi Strauss a little bit. I did everything my grandmother told me not to do. I experimented with really interesting things. And as um, I know it's a podcast, but I'm showing David my my right hand because I crushed it in a car. Accident. Oh, there's some scars on your uh, around your, um, your your ring finger. Right, and all this whole hand kind of got crushed in a car accident because I was experimenting with really dodgy things that really hurt your body and destroy you and makes you feel bad about yourself and shame and... And that was a real healing moment. I call it God's voice of disapproval <laughs> uh, for not using this gift given to change the world for the better. So, so you were in a car accident um, related to substances, I, I'm guessing? That yes, you were, you substance, were, yeah. substance. And I was actually at a work. Uh, I was at a work. <laughs> a team building aspirations wow. kind of weekend up somewhere remote and yeah what well, next thing you know i you know driving with yeah it was a it was a bad it was a bad accident it was it was, it was not good it was not good time so the um time. so the, did that accident and prove as kind of a correction or a redirection in your life i think it woke me up uh to ask that deep question what are you doing yeah are you living or are you just kind of gliding through is it just, just another day, or are you truly living? Right. Uh, because during apartheid, when it was crappy and violent, um, there was, in the community, there was a palpable energy. There was a, you know, and now we voted in 1994, and we had the Rugby World Cup, and there was that great energy, and then all of a sudden it just started shifting. It just... Nelson you know, Mandela came, oh, Mandiba. came president. Mandiba, right? Mandiba is the, the president. The we, we vote, you know, standing in line with my grandfather, my family, my grandmother voting together for the first time. We voted in Bishop's Court because it was where we were living in Newlands at the time. 
uh, just you could feel it in the neighborhood, man. Uh, and then the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where you would everyone's watching it on TV, and so to watch people and watch the communities and feel the community process pain and and hurt and anger and frustration and come with a sense of truly living into what it means to be the rainbow people was just so exciting. It was for me the oh, three years of truly being on the mountaintop. I felt like James, Paul, and, and John saying, let's put, let's, put some, let's put three tents here, man. Let's, so let's this, stay here. And this was after your accident? Yeah. Before, okay. This was, this was after. After your accident. And did, um, so the, I mean, obviously there's this, feeling where now you actually have a, an opportunity, a future, the, a, a place to be equal with other yes. other South Africans. Yeah. And you have, you've now been able to elect a man who actually has the grace. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, compared to, if you look at Zimbabwe, I mean, he really helped yes. bring all South Africans together, not just separate again, yes. you know, um, in a different way. Were you there when... Truth and Reconciliation, when that program was instituted? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was... Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, what we forget is, or at least, and I say we, maybe South Africans, is even just building up to the 1994 vote, there was so much violence. Right. Between, like, 1991, 92, 93, um, just bomb blast after bomb blast and just fighting and just people dying. Right. So much bloodshed, you'd almost think right. um, they don't want this to happen. Sure, uh, but we voted, and 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 was was the violence from uh, like ANC freedom fighters, or was it from the white uh, nationalists? It, was, or, it just or felt sides? like it was all over. It Everybody like was. was it's, yeah. it's Tosa against Zulu. It's Sutu. It's, you know, it's just people that were. It's, it just felt everywhere. It felt everywhere you went. You'd never know what would happen, be it on a train, be it in the public streets. Uh, you, you'd never know what, what would happen. There were bomb, there were pipe bombs and right. just profound violence. And so after we voted in 94, there was a real, you know, and maybe this is the thing. We had elders and, and there were elders whom people respected and the mothers it is the power of the mothers in the neighborhood that said, you know, because these are the moms that can call you out. If you're climbing over somebody's fence, man, yeah, yeah. You, they, they might not know you, but they know your parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, could yeah. call you out, and there was a sense of respect. Sure. Of, of this is my elder. Right. Um, and, and so I think that helped a lot in, in, in saying we're going to pause and we're going to really talk through this because we, we, we need a future here because there's, you know, violence is just going to begin violence. Right. And enough already. How do we enough create a already. common fabric? The only way we're going to go through this is, and that's where we started, you know, um, His Grace Archbishop Blesman talked about the rainbow people of God. Mm. And we developed a new flag. And, and how, do we, how do we talk through this publicly? And that, for me, is the heart of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It is bringing evil to the light. And so the Truth and Reconciliation was effectively a program that I don't think ever has been seen before or since where uh, South Africans who had participated in violence, particularly in the security forces, where they had killed people, they had beaten people, tortured people, um, there was a period of time where if they came forward and publicly apologized to the families, the families could then work through a program of forgiveness. Yes. And it was 
effectively forgiven. There was no consequences. Yes. Is that accurate? Is that, right? that is very accurate, and 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 I and I want to affirm the gift of our elders, our men and women, just our elders, is that they recognize and they were able to articulate that we have to break out of the system. Right. So it's not a, a, a white, black, colored, Indian. It's a systemic. Even if you were a white policeman, you were part and trapped in a system. Right. Okay. So, so let's, let's, let's recognize your humanity outside of the system. Right. Uh, so that we, we talk about the system uh, and how it's really impacted you. Sure. Uh, because you're going to have to deal with it. You have to deal with who you've beaten. You have to deal with uh, prisoners the way you've treated people. Right. You know, and that was always fascinating for me. How do, how do the hearts of the judges now change? How do the hearts, how does rule of law, and the hearts of those who implemented it change? Right. And the neighborhood sees that differently. And I think this was a way to say that. And also, what we need to remember: the gift of forgiveness. Exactly. Is, both sides, right? Is saying, yes. I'm choosing not to hold this over your head anymore. Right. Because we. Is it true and is it fair? We sometimes do that in our own relationships, no? Sure. I mean, at least I, I, I know I've been guilty of it. Sure, we where, all are. Yeah. Where, it's a know, natural. The oh, natural you forgive, reaction. You know, five years ago, that's what you remember, <laughs> right? right? right. You know, no, forgiving, saying I choose to not hold this over your head anymore, and and thus I I free myself from being trapped in that. And, and 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 that's the gift of, I think, truth and reconciliation was that that wonderful in, in family systems theory, bone theory. It's that self differentiation. How do I know where I end and the next person begins? Right. And 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 how do I practice being myself and 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 thus allowing the other person to be themselves? For me, that's the core. It's that's the ego. depth of yeah. Ubuntu. I am because we are. Whether we like it or not, our lives are intertwined. What you do is going to affect me. What I do is going to affect you. So how do we do this for the better right. for all? And for me, that's the gift of communities of faith. They think they're exploring that collectively. How do we can do so much more, more as a community than we can on our own? Right. And I think there's, there's value in that. But... But we live in a strange time where, where and, and I, I've only been in this country 19 years. I really <laughs> have. But, and I, but I've seen a lot of it. And right. I've driven around this country doing hands in healing. I think you've I seen more of this country than many, if not most, Americans. How many, how many states have you been to? In total, I, I would say 45. Wow. And I, when I say Definitely 45, I most, mean I've yeah. been in truck stops. I've met with people. I've gone to local churches. I've gone to talk with people I've gone to listen to people and listen to their stories and and really engage them and 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 this is what fascinates me is that we all are touched by pain in some way sure. so, you know and that's my passion if apartheid and that, that was my formative years that that there's so much violence what is the what does the light look like and that always reminds me I always use this example of Cape Town I don't know when you were there did you go to the fort um, oh, where the Robbins Bay? Or? No, no, no. There's a big fort, uh, like near near the VNA waterfront. Well, I, I don't think we did. We went to so Table Andy's Mountain. Uh, we saw Robbins Bay. We uh, right. Uh, anyways, we, I don't, so there's I don't this, there's this yeah. fort near Adley Street, and uh, you go in there, and they kind of where they would keep prisoners and stuff like that. And so they would close the door always, and it's 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 that it's so dark your eyes hurt. 
Yeah. That's how dark it is. And then somebody would, that time, it was a Zippo lighter, I think. So somebody <laughs> would light, uh, turn on their Zippo lighter, and you could see the light. And that always fascinates me, that no matter how pitch dark it was, this little Zippo lighter Fills all pierced, the yeah. pierced the darkness. Yeah. And for me, that is the work. Great metaphor. If it begins that way, if it begins just by one person, Mm. daring to believe and that's what it was that was that that's what the church ended up being just you know going not in this neighborhood not today kind of we see you mm. um and and i think that for me is my hope for places of faith once again is that you know people are in pain yeah and i pray that places of faith will once again be a lighthouse to people where they can go. It's, again, not for answers, but at least to say, I see you. Right. And know that there's a place here if you need somebody to talk to, if you need to be, if you need to feel safe, if you even just need to be seen. Right. There's a place that will see you. Is that the per What is the purpose of prayer? For me, prayer, oh. I mean, that is a complicated question, but you, you start no, to get into I, this, I so I think, think it's a really, really uh, good question. I think we already, we already, we, I think we are built for prayer. For I mean, uh, for me, I can get lost in you know opening up my consciousness to uh, that of creation, to that of my neighbor. But I think it is pausing and being present in my body, in my in my in my being, in my essence, in the deep eye. Mm. Uh, I, I because and I say that because I'm recognizing more and more the Hebrew word ruach. The Spirit, the Spirit of God. Of God. Yeah. Feminine, by the way. Yeah. That's just still blowing my mind. Yeah. You know, the breath of life. Right. The breath uh, of and, God, and, right? And God yeah. breathed life into it. I, I, I'm still figuring that out. I'm still figuring out that mystery of, of what does that even mean? But if I slow myself enough in prayer, recognizing and saying on my heart, you know, I offer kindness and joy to Michael the greeter on PCH. Sure. That he may have a day of grace. Mm. Um, the woman in pain um, who got unexpected news from the doctor that they, that's, for me, that's the work of the vicar. Mm. You are the walking sacrament of the neighborhood. You are to embody the kingdom. You are to embody what does it mean to love God, love neighbor, love self. Yes, it's it's a tough, it's 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 a big calling, but it's a glorious calling. But that's what you do, and I think that's that's just the old school cats I grew up. You know, <laughs> I don't know if the vicars do it today, but uh, well, I mean, I tease Father Mackenzie writing a sermon no one will hear. But the, the gift is walking around the neighborhood, either with my orange smoothie, either with my latte, either at Main Beach, but being there, literally praying for the neighborhood, even though I don't know most of the people, but saying this is a holy place because the human family is gathered here. Right. And we are, whether we like it or not, uh, we are... We are really cosmic creatures. And I also think it's a unique community. I think, I think you know, Laguna Beach is only 24,000 people. Yes. The, the lots don't change that much. A lot of people have been here a long time. So yeah. to your point, I think, it, you know, in some ways it can be a difficult community to break into. But once you're in, you kind yeah. of, you're, you're, you're locked in. I think I'm in my third year. And I think only now, maybe because I've been called as a rector, maybe I'm trusting myself more. But, but, but 
slowly trusting any relationships take take time and i think maybe even maybe in my fifth or sixth year i think the community <laughs> will go okay well now they, we can really talk with I, I would say to me we, we moved here in 2002 my college roommate was from here and you know, i started coming here in the late 80s but i think you know the the difficult thing of of becoming a part of this community is it's this community is is famous for the beach and for the mountains yes. and for being on television and for you know being I guess an expensive place with a fair amount of resources yeah. for a small community, and so I think people are used and for being an arts colony, I, I think people here who live here and have lived here a long time, are used to people coming here to try and take something, yeah. and so they're always a little wary. Yeah. And I think what what breaks through you know in, in any relationship, whether people are rich or poor, it does. I don't think it matters. When you're trying to actually build community, it's uh-huh. based on experience, where you add value, and then it generates permission and trust to go further, right? Mm. That's how you expand, typically, a relationship, I think. Yeah. And I, I think here, what people are watching is, what's this person all about? Uh, what are they? Are they here to add value? Is there a net positive? Is there a net net are they contributing to the fabric of this place meaning do you understand it are you part of it are you contributing to places that add value to it and then uh, i think if you add value consistently that's actually fairly unique even among people who've lived here for for generations um you'll hear people talk about well my grandparents moved here my parents moved here i've lived here these many years i like to point out i don't think seniority i don't think time on the clock really matters that much yes I think value that you add over time matters immensely. Thank you for that insight. And and I think you're, I mean, in my humble opinion, I think you're doing a great job of, oh, of navigating that, um, particularly with with uh, what, what's, you know, the plans for the building where you're bringing in, I mean, St. Mary's is on Park Avenue here in Laguna <sighs> Beach, which is, a you know, one of the main thoroughfares of the community. Yeah. It's halfway be- between downtown and the high school. And... Um, Already, we have a back building that didn't have a lot of, wasn't being used a lot, but it's in a great location. Yes. In fact, it's halfway between the high school and La Serena Grill, where most of the kids go for lunch, right? Right. And so starting to open that up for Boy Scouts and for Boys and Girls Club. Yeah. And um, hopefully, eventually, a new skate park. No, <laughs> I I am game for that. Hey, man, I've got a 13-year-old yeah. who's practicing his ollie every day and... I would love to see what that would look like. I'm just telling you, you won't be able to keep kids out of the church if you have a skate park in the back. But the um, it's it, we we I'm joking. I'm not trying to force an, an, an idea there. But but I think that what you're doing already is, is making very positive impressions, and you're making good why impressions. I like your skate park ideas because I grew up. My formidable years was at St. John's. Sure, big church, massive parking, massive grounds, and those were that became the gathering place oh, wow. that's where we i channeled my inner ian wright when we were you know playing <laughs> soccer we played cricket we played three blickies which is putting three cans up and you gotta you know knock, knock them down. With, right and, and um, we were on our bmx bikes and yeah. but that's where the neighborhood kids came to right that was a gathering place sure. and so i i just have so much that i would love to see i mean for example there's a back section because I, I play percussion and I, I sure. play guitar. But I would love to see summertime, you know, what does, an, what does an open mic look like where you can just plug in and express yourself? And and, and I want to talk to maybe Jason Fetty about that. But just 
because I feel like the 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 pubs are a little too. I don't know if they are pubs. If you call it that, or not. there are pubs. The, I would say the Dirty Bird, you right. know, the, the Sandpiper Lounge, is a pub for sure. Okay, I gotta I but gotta find my bodies, my Boddingtons. Yeah, so. there's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, my well, yeah. Boddingtons might be hard to find there, but you might find that at at uh, that at Brussels Bistro. Oh, yeah, nicely yeah, yeah. done! Cause also good. Yeah, I, I, I must say, I do miss, uh, I miss King's Head, Peter. Blessings <laughs> to you. I miss King's Head. That's where I got my pint and my good English breakfast. Because I and I could wear my collar and get away with it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, but, but, but that 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 um, in between age, I guess that middle school. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a place. For creativity i just i don't know what that looks like i wonder what that looks like we've got an amazing view in the back where we do the blessing of the animals i Absolute, can see the ocean for sure what does that look like just plugging in i've got an acoustic amp i don't know how it looks like what it looks like but i would brainstorm wonderfully with that because i'm the rector there now yeah i'm here and i'm ready for some adventure i'm ready for some fun because that's the thing i want to remind people being a as a place of faith yeah as a faith community it's not i get crashed i get cranky when I see some folks who celebrate Mass, you know, the Lord be with you. Yeah. I'm like, dude, really? this is good news. Really? Man. You, I, mean, I, I once saw an Easter service where it's like, he's risen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm like, you're kidding me. You just, you just broke the rules of nature, man. Yeah. You know, uh, as, as, the, as we explore the Shroud of Turin more, it's, uh, they're calling it the second... Was it a second Big Bang, a second explosion? Because it, for it to burn so evenly, it meant a profound amount of, of energy was expelled, uh, which then connects me back to Father Georges Lemaitre, the original person who discovered what he called the primordial seed, which is where we get the Big Bang theory from. Sure. And that was before Einstein. It's, oh, man, just, you know, get me very excited. But, but to then have all of that and just go, you know, where's risen? Where's the... Yeah. Right. the joy that for me holy joy right because any cat who was following Jesus of Nazareth man I'm sure he had to be really funny and really <laughs> compelling for people to go I, I want to hear what he's got to say right. and especially uh, all those just cool women who were following him and Mary Magdalene and, and, and just when they were challenging even the disciples kind of going you know He's got some compelling things to say, man. You know, and, but the disciples, what were they busy doing with? Well, who's the greatest? Who's first? <laughs> you know? Who gets to sit at your right hand? Right? right. Who, who gets to be first? Can I go with you? I'll, I'll go with you. No worries. And then when it matters, uh, maybe not so much. Yeah, I, mean, I want to go with you, but not that far. Right. Um, well, no, but and I think you know when we were up in St. Helena in the Napa Valley, we had another Father Matt. <sighs> and uh, he was well, part of what he did there was when people would fall into this you know, the, 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 the bad liturgy, I think, you know, because yeah. I think liturgy can either be one of the most amazing things or it can be one of the worst things yeah. if it's, if it's people are allowed to, to not engage. And the, um, he would just stop. Yeah. He'd say, I'm sorry. Uh, let's try that again. This time with feeling, pretend <laughs> right? you like it. Or he'd say things like one, one of the times he said, uh, he said, you know, if you think that you have to come here because you're supposed to be here, yeah. you know, don't come. Yeah. He said, if we're not making a difference in your life, you can't stop talking right. about find some place that 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 is giving you right. that. And um, and he, they, you know, and then he delivered on the promise of 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 being that. And I yes. think to your point, you know, if you look at this town, my kids grew up here. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both, you know, one Skyler's out of college and and just back from Spain. Willem's living in in Paris in Vietnam this week nice. on uh, spring break. But the um, 
you know, the, the thing that's hard here is a place for kids to go in the evenings yeah. because there's, I mean, they can go to the beach during the day. They can um, hike in the hills. They can ride mountain bikes right. and go to each other's homes. But they have a 10 p.m. curfew. Okay. And, uh, and so what happens a lot is you get a network of parents that open up your homes for okay. kids to come over and do things at your homes. Okay. But even walking from your house to someplace else, they'll often get stopped and searched by cops. And right. it's a little bit of apartheid based right. on, based on uh, you know, age here. Um, and, this, and the city, at least when my kids were in school, didn't manage it terribly mm-hmm. well. The kids feel oppressed. Okay. Um, when, when Willem was 16, he went to Pratt uh, in Brooklyn, a design school, for the summer, and I went to pick him up. I wrote a, a column about it when I used to do that in the paper here, and I said, you know, you know, Brooklyn's hot, it's gritty, you know, it used to be more gritty, right. and um, I picked him up and I said, you know, did you miss Laguna? And he said, he said, no, he said, I'm going to miss Brooklyn. Wow. And I said, wow, why is that? Yeah. He said, because you, as a kid, you can do things here. Wow. You know, there's, there's no controls. And uh, I think he felt like unleashed, kind of like you were talking about when you were, you know, when, when you got to vote and you got to have your yeah. president and you get to be seen yeah. and you get to be viewed as a as an adult. Um, you. you know, we, we moved to Munich when he was 16 and in Munich, the drinking age for beer and wine is 16. Right. And so the high school um, literally does this whole thing on how the Oktoberfest works, how the Wiesen, the, you know, the big park where right. they have the Oktoberfest works. They talk about how many beers should you drink? Where do you go if you get in trouble? How do you get home? You know, all these kinds of things. And then they take the high school kids and their lederhosen and their dirndls to a little tour of Munich and they leave them at the Wiesen together. And, uh, And I think for him, again, he felt like he said, you know... I actually feel like I'm being treated like an adult. Mm-hmm. And that, that gives me a sense of freedom, also a sense of responsibility. Yeah. And he said, he said, you know, I don't even know if kids in Laguna could handle this. Yeah. And I think part of that responsibility kind of fell on the parents. Yeah. And so part of the way that Sarah and I were raised and, and how we chose to raise our kids was kind of an open door policy when okay. it came to things like alcohol. Right. For the same reason that you teach your kids to drive before you throw them the car keys. And the last thing you'd want to do is never teach them to drive and then throw them a, a set of Ferrari keys. Right. You know, like, well, we, you haven't been able to drink till you're 21, but here's a bottle of tequila. You know, right. good luck. Hope, hope you figure it out. <laughs> and, um, and so for us, it was trying to figure those things out mm. with them. And so there's a lot, you know, there were networks of parents where we would um, have some controls, okay. but open up our homes where kids could get together, play their music, okay. uh, maybe play a little beer pong or have a good time, but do it in a way that was responsible. And hopefully, by the time they got to college age, right. they weren't going to be a shit show when they when I they finally you. got there. Um, and I'm not advocating that the you know the church uh, provides alcohol for minors outside no, of communion, no. but the <laughs> we're always going to be a safe church. Yeah, but but I think the idea that the kids have a place to go, yes, that's fun. Where maybe, you know, for example, Willem and his friends will do, uh, they'll run out the women's club and they'll do, um, they'll, they all DJ now. So they'll set up, you know, they'll take turns right. DJing and do effectively an open mic there. Or you've got a skate park, which the city has struggled with figuring out right. where to put for, for literally decades. I yes. mean, Tony Hawk's foundation has offered to build one. We just have to have a fi- find a place to put it. Okay. Um, but I think it's, it doesn't have to be those specific ideas, but I right. think those are the kind of the gaps in the community right. where providing something for that, you won't be able to keep the kids away if, if we, if well, we figure I, that out. Well, again, I, I would love to brainstorm what that looks like. Hey, Tony Hawk Foundation, if you've got a movable skate park, we can figure out how to put that baby <laughs> right, up because right. we are two blocks from Main Beach right. and we actually have some parking. Right. And... Um, 
we we can we can figure out how to make that work. Right. Uh, I I really am inviting St. Mary's and the community of St. Mary's to stretch into what I tease sometimes. We like Seven Eleven. We're not always. Uh, busy, but we're always open. Yeah, and yeah. So that, for me, places of faith should be always places of hospitality, right? And places of gathering, right? And you're right. We are right smack down in a what I'm what I've been listening as I as I listen to the season last year, election seasons, etc. Uh, downtown is in a renaissance or something like that. I think that's what I was we, Yeah, we, we certainly hope. <laughs> that's, that's what yeah, I was yeah, listening yeah, yeah. to, at least. Yeah. That's what I was hearing. So, yeah. And so I'm curious, how does St. Mary's, which has been there a long time, has deep history in this community, sure. how um, can it be part of uh, hospitality in that way? I mean, and it's little things that I find really compelling i'll be at the mobile gas station or i'll be at the you know getting a, a latte at anastasia and there's somebody struggling to find parking or so and so and i can hey go up park avenue for st mary's and say father max said it's fine and you see darren there and yeah yeah valet guy but people are surprised that you actually offer offer or you yeah i think people are surprised by kindness sometimes yeah, yeah and i find it interesting and i'm thinking well pay it forward exactly you know? and so for me it's all baby steps and it's all being in community and it's all living in community and it just takes time and yes we're going to bump into each other but for me that is the gift of living together and being in community is that by bumping into each other we find how to be generous with each other and gentle yes. with one another. But it means we get to hear each other's stories and we get to engage each other's stories. And I think you're right, right on the money, brother. Young people always just want somebody to hear them. How do we, them. How do we create a place where they feel heard, right? Where they feel seen, right. where they feel like they're a part of this community right. and this community is here for them. Right. And I'm, I, don't, I don't necessarily have... And I'm always willing to listen, but I'm also not going to try to solve their problems if anything i can i can i know that i can contribute to being helping people think through it uh, critically yeah. help them think through it in a self-differentiating way where do i take responsibility for what i'm thinking what i'm feeling how i'm processing it right without uh that classic language that we sometimes tend to use i think as the human creatures if only you would if only you did if right. you know uh, no, let's take some ownership. Let's take some responsibility. Let's take some self differentiation. Well, and you know, I was um, I was in Detroit uh, last week, and okay. it was with Life Builders that builds. They build. It's uh, a friend of mine I went to college with who happens to live in Laguna, Dave Birchie. His mother and father-in-law. They were in retirement. They had done very well. Yeah. They were living in Gross Point and down in Florida, and um, you know, after two thousand eight, the city was decimated. Wow. And. They felt called to come back, and yeah. and they bought a, I think a couple city blocks of houses in mm. Regent Park, which was you know really it was brick bungalows, but really be you know the okay. place was was evacuated almost, and um, they bought a lot of houses, but then they their focus was how do we build a community and yeah. cre- and provide places for people to live in that community, yeah. and I think um, one of the things we talked about on that podcast last week with them was. Larry said, you know, coming from the place that I came from, the idea of being late wasn't a thing. You, you, you show up on time. That's, right. an, that's an essential element. He said what I didn't realize until they actually sold their house and moved into the community where they were trying to develop uh-huh. it was all the little problems that when you're in grinding poverty, you have to deal with. Yeah. He, he said, you know, it's that, it's that gap that just is a huge gap for a lot of people. Yeah. Be, and you won't, you won't discover what 
those gaps are until you're living in community right, you sure. have their trust and they start to unveil the, all the problems that they have to deal with every day yeah. you know maybe it's a single mom that has to find someone to take care of her kids or a place for her kids right. to go um, you know that's the public transportation wasn't consistent so some days it might take 45 minutes to get to work some right. days it might take two or three hours um, both ways right and mm-hmm. so it starts to turn into this the the nightmare of grinding poverty isn't always apparent until you become you know fall into yes. relationship you see and hear people and you understand yes. why those things are happening not mm-hmm. just what's going on um in fact you and I, I wanted to touch on this you and my brother joel yes uh first met was this right you first met this is uh, hands in healing yeah. yeah hands in healing how long ago was that oh, to right after 9-11 no, right after 9-11 right wow. after 9-11 so, so two, 01-ish april 02? 2002 2002 april because 9-11 happened September. Right. So April, we went on Hands in Healing with um, the cat, the awesome cat who ordained Michael, me, Ke- Michael Cunningham? John, John Bruno. Okay, John Bruno, okay. Michael Cunningham was, was kind of partly chaplain, yes, but the man who got me here, yeah. really, was John Bruno, because I remember in 1998 when I visited uh, the U.S. for the first time, I was on my way to the Lambeth Conference, which happens every 10 years. And right. My whole family was going for the Lambeth Conference in Kent, Canterbury. And but oh, that's the Cup, Anglican. That's the big that's Anglican. The, every uh, ten years, yeah. bishops from around the world and their spouses gather, and they just talk about where to, state of the church. I think you know where where are we moving? What's going on? Uh, and it's nurturing bonds of affection. But 1998 World Cup, I landed in LA first time ever. <laughs> then John Bruno was the provost of um, the Cathedral Center in Echo Park because Echo Park was really on that reemergence. Even then, I think he drove this green Jaguar and <laughs> he took me. I first time I saw PCH, my sister met uh, Cody. They were filming Baywatch, I think, <laughs> Will Rogers Beach, which I now know where that is. I wanted to see Crenshaw because I watched Boys in the Hood. Oh, sure, I sure. The, Minister Society, so yeah, he's like, what yeah. do you want to go see? I want to go see Crenshaw. <laughs> so, and uh, so John Bruno was really a, a deep, um, because of him, because of him and, and my whole family kind of, my aunt was called as a rector of Church of the Advent, a historical black congregation on La Brea and Adams, oh, um, wow. which is now, I think, uh, Wolshevist, I don't know, all these names. Then that was just Pico, you know, and, and Adams. And so um, that... Uh, and he, so we were standing on the roof of Echo Park, and because of that, he was elected bishop in 2000 of LA. And then um, he called, my aunt came as a rector, and he said, You know, I'd really like you to be part of this Hands in Healing's journey. And it was on that van that I met, uh, I called him Joe Grandi because he was so tall. Wow. And then I met your sister. Uh, Jane. Oh, Jane. On, in in uh, D.C. Oh, because they were uh, living in uh, Baltimore, D.C. area. Right, her her husband remember. was in medical school. At right, so that was yeah. two, April. So April 2000, drove around uh, 20,000 miles, visiting places of violence, uh, talking to communities, had the privilege and gift, didn't realize it then, I do now. Uh, I got to sit in the chambers with Justice Breyers oh, wow. for almost an hour just chatting with him, myself, Bishop John Bruno and uh, Luis Caribe. Luis Caribe, a dear friend. Um, he's now the custodian at the Cathedral in Echo Park. A uh, powerful story wow. of gangs in, 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 in L.A. Um, he's a family man now and just a just a generous heart and, wow. and, a, and, and, and a powerful bond that we had and have. But that is, yeah, that's how I met Joel, and, and he was in my wedding, and we've been kind of 
friends ever since trying to catch up with orange and smoothies now and then we've both got families now you're both very busy and you're both going in two different and, directions you know, i think yeah. um the frustrated 40s i think that's what they call it <laughs> uh, but it's a beautiful thing uh, yeah. you know one literally one day at a time um, yeah. and i'm loving it um strange time in my own life as my uh grandfather my mentor was really ill and you know esophageal cancer just really sucks yeah um but it has broken me open and and um I, it was a gift i got to represent uh bishop michael curry the uh the, if you watch the royal wedding he mm. he was the preacher at the royal wedding and so i got to He's our presiding bishop of the Episcopal By Church. By the way, did an amazing job. That was, that was an awesome yeah, sermon. I think it was fantastic, awesome, especially yeah. in, in in that setting. Brought a lot of uh, brought a lot of Jesus into that. One. Oh, I I I I always tease. It's an Anglican sensibility with an African American spontaneity. <laughs> uh, I, I love it. So I, I had it. the gift of of, of <laughs> being part of his delegation to the COP twenty four conference in Poland last year december and so uh i have a deep passion for creation care and and i've been exploring you know is weird things like well is the is the sun conscious i, I wonder so, <laughs> um, but uh the essence of what i wanted to share was a powerful moment when i walked through auschwitz and Birkenau and mm. Birkenau and 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 truly um putting my hands in the ovens um considering my own story of apartheid what a it felt that day that all that pain in me deep in me died mm. um what a what a what a journey so to have had hands in healing in 2002 my first time in this country visiting places of violence uh, um meeting wonderful people going to um the cathedral in Memphis, you know, I went through, I remember that day where we, we, we were at this cathedral in Memphis, the first time a black man and a white man shared communion at the same rail. Uh, just just all these rich, constant stories, being in South Dakota, a red shirt table, building a powwow in a hundred and, felt like 150 degrees. Yeah, know? yeah. Never had heat like that in my whole life. First time I had a snow cone. Uh, <laughs> random. Uh, and so to have that journey, um, to, to to meet a wonderful uh, woman, now have three kids and a golden doodle, um, <laughs> and then to experience Auschwitz, uh, truly considering just watching my grandfather and my grandparents and my elders really just get old. Yeah. Um, it's like all pain and victimhood and past hurts really just died. Mm. Uh, as I placed my hands in the ovens uh, in Auschwitz. And so, if anything... Did, did it die because you felt the immensity of that that, the, that kind of... Oh, it was very... It's uh, walking through, seeing how hair was turned into um, blankets, seeing kids' shoes, and seeing the faces on the walls of prisoners, and seeing how many priests were there, yeah. and listening, and how listening at how effective we are at killing mm. and what we are capable of and seeing um, and, 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 and smelling my apartheid story and those that I've seen um, 
and seeing all of that and that of my ancestors. I mean, worse when my grandfather was a young man and my yeah. my grandmother was a young girl. The time of the era of the Dompas, you know, when you'd have to have a pass to go to different places in South Africa and so but just what a powerful moment to encourage people that that you know you can remember your past but you don't have to relive it and it won't define you right uh, and and to truly be here uh, the, the the future is unknown so don't get lost in that anxiety because it will stop you from thinking it will feel like it's choking you because you're constantly worried and so and 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 I think that's across the board. I think, um, and if you have humble means, I think that's how you live, day by day. Right. You make it day by day, You're whether you have humble out. means or not. Um, and I think, but I, if anything, I don't know why I felt compelled to share that. But no, no, but um, I, it, it fits really well. Last week we talked a lot about um, my friend Dave Birchy. His parents are, you know, very white. Yes. Um, you know, very upper middle class, you yeah. know, might call them rich. Um, and they they felt called not only, first of all, they felt called to buy these city blocks and then restart rebuilding the community. They took over a park and a school and made yes. it a place where the community could go, which used to be overgrown where they would sell drugs and right. became a safe place, a clean place. Now right. it has a Head Start program as well as a field that kids go and pick, they have family picnics right. and play soccer. One of the things we talked about was um, was a little bit about obviously about race, mm. and I said, you know, you know, you look very different than a lot of people who live here. Did you have difficulty coming in and being a part of this community? Yeah. And they did because people were very they're, they're like, why are why would these people come here? Mm. And I think part of that, you know, going back to the truth and reconciliation when you're truly willing to suffer with other people, to have that level of compassion, that embodied yes. solidarity, mm-hmm. and and you become a resource for the community. Um, Larry and his wife Marilyn, they call him Mr. Larry and, and Miss Marilyn. Mm. They're the people, you know, police wouldn't even come to these neighborhoods. There weren't very many police resources, and, and mm-hmm. this wasn't a place that people come. Fire departments wouldn't come if you called. Right. And so people in the community would just call them, and they would always show up regardless of what of what the issues were right. and i think when when we get to a point where we're always there we're always adding value we're always willing to suffer with somebody it allows us to let go of our own yes and i think to your point about truth and reconciliation i mean we tend to focus on forgiving the white oppressor in south africa but yes. i think part of what is is missed and maybe it's not but at least for my you know maybe i missed it is that the the forgiveness that you know mm. the black families and the other families had to go through the colored families had to go through mm. the forgiveness of those people is possibly as liberating if not more liberating mm. to going forward than yeah. the than the people who receive it mm. because holding on to that that anger that fear that anxiety that hate hanging on to all that holds us all back oh yeah um and so i, th- I think it's incredibly powerful to one to be available to other to, to see what the other's going through um, not just for them, but also for us, because it allows us to release the things maybe that we've been hanging on to. Exactly, because because I know, for one thing, apartheid was really good, hmm. 
at making you feel less about yourself mm. because you had no identity. And, mm. and so I and, and, and I think life can be that way. Yeah. You get sucked into the negative thinking rabbit hole. Right. Low self worth, low self esteem, I'm not worthy, I don't trust myself, etc. 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 And I think uh, just that you know, that can be the human condition. And what fascinates me and we've I mean, I have kids and so I know that, you know, you start with what was it? What to expect when you're expecting on all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But most babies. studies yeah. will affirm, you know, you need to gonna have to counter just for one negative thing, you know, you've got to use almost ten positive things just to counter the one negative thing. Sure. Um, and so my hope and my prayer is that by mutual vulnerability we truly encourage each other. Sure. Uh, to live into love. Goodness, these are real things for me. Agape, it is, it is, because I've seen love change the world. I've tasted it. I've experienced it. I've, I've seen a police officer that used that killed a mother's son, hug with the mother. Right. Um, and there was authenticity there. There was a realness there. There was a divine moment there. Um, and so, uh, and 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 that's not easy. When, when we live in a time, is it true and is it fair, where it, there's always suspect, there's always, right. what is the real end game here? Well, the world's become binary. Right? <sighs> true or false, Republican or Democrat, Trump or, or Clinton. I mean, I think these are all big problems. So one of the things we talked about um, last week, and I think it's a good question in light of what we're talking about today, is, you know, I, I stopped at, when we were at dinner parties a few years ago maybe more than a few years ago when when you know it would be Obama versus right. somebody else or it would be Clinton versus Trump or whatever it was the binary equation of right. bipartisan politics which yes. I which I really detest um, I started to say you know because we have friends on both sides I would say yeah. this isn't an interesting conversation here's an here's a maybe a better question how do we build a country again right. how do we get to a place where we all believe we're part of the same thing right. where we where where the congress isn't about every everyone on one side and voting no and everyone on the other side voting yes, yes. but on coming together to find solutions right. it used to work that way when mm-hmm. i worked on the hill it worked that way in the okay. 80s and so my my question is how do we get and and i think you know world war 2 was a was a great element of bringing people, put our yes. entire country in uniform, or or donating, or participating, yep. or to fight a common evil, which was a very obvious evil. Right. In fact, after the war, we found out it was even worse than we than we anticipated. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, but I think uh, you know, and so that got everybody into this discipline and this and this focus and this we're building right. this thing we call America, this nation. You know, we were talking in Detroit. I, one of the things we talked about is that maybe part of how we have to do this is, is community by community. Uh-huh. Um, but also maybe there's a, a bigger way to do it where, like, when you and Joel went with Hands in Healing and, you yes. you know, you're from South Africa, he's from Michigan, you're both living in California, you, you get in a car together and you drive around the country to yes. observe, to participate, to have compassion, to, um, to, to be a part of overcoming or at yeah. least suffering with people through yes. the violence that they experience. Do you think there's, what, what, what do you think, do you think there's a way that we could create some kind of a uh, local program, state program, national program? Are there ways you think that we could expand that idea? Or is it something you think that needs to happen locally? I think, I think both and. I think, um, and I think, I, I feel that the Episcopal Church 
at least my hope is that places of faith in general yeah. do that. That we begin on the local level by inviting and sharing our stories with each other, but really in a meaningful way, not in a win-lose way, but a win-win way, in right. a way of that honors the humanity mutually within. Focus so, on how we're the same right. and how we're different. Uh, or, or what do we share that is in common? I, right. I, I would hope that um, we'd be savvy enough that I can conclude that your political affiliation doesn't define the essence of your being and who you are. Right. It's of interest, yes, but um, I think that's what, what fascinates me more is the deeper eye and how does the deeper eye, not the shallow ego, but how does the deeper eye connect? Oh, and, but also I'm a mystic by my, just by, <laughs> my own nature. And, and, and so for me, I think there is a possibility by talking through it that a cat from Michigan, a cat from Cape Town, uh, a cat from uh, the Sioux Res right. uh, can have a meaningful conversation because you have to discover each other to find the bonds of affection, to find the commonalities, to find the threads that can be nurtured instead of getting lost in the win-lose uh, mentality, in the I'm right mentality. And, and what would it look like, even in our own relationships, if we came from a place of, you know, I, I've got nothing to lose. Sure. Um, I'm, uh, bitch, for me, that's the B attitudes. For me, that's... Um, that's just the, the invitation of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, that's Paul writing to the church in Corinth, a church that is fighting with each other. Church, love is patient. Love is kind. What does kindness look like when I'm standing, waiting for my latte, when I'm standing in Costco and I'm cranky, when I'm at the traffic? I mean, literally, it's a small thing, but small things build up to powerful things. A drop doesn't know it's a drop in the ocean. It just right. knows it's the ocean. So I think small acts like that like we see, uh, Paul challenges the people of Corinth. Um, how does how does that how does it get lived out so much though that you don't have to think about it? For me, that's the virtue. For me, that I tease my kids even. You know, what is a virtue? It's something you practice every day, which is why we do liturgy. You do it and you practice your muscles. So that why do we give the peace every time at the exact same time in the liturgy? Mostly so that you've done it so many times when you actually confront it with an enemy, you don't have to think about right. it. Right. Well, think about right Martin Luther King, who learned a lot from um, from Gandhi and Nelson mm -hmm. Mandela. I mean, or they were, you know, they were all looking at the same ideas of uh, yes. embodied solidarity and nonviolent uh, yes. protest. I mean, one of the things that I think Martin Luther King in, in the U.S. did really well is they trained, yeah. right? They put a lot of discipline into nonviolent protest because he realized the natural reaction is going to be to fight back. Yes. The natural reaction when they let loose a dog on you oh, yeah. is going to be to fight back, yeah. right? Um, and he had to he had to kind of not only get into the philosophy but into the physical training yes. to be able to participate that yes. way. And I think to your point, when we get to a uh, a place where we're deliberately breathing into every moment where we're less concerned with the great intentions and we're more focused on the small good, the small yes. important acts every day. It seems like that's when the tide starts to turn. I mean, to your point, we could, we could preach the philosophy right. all day long of St. Mary's, but it's the act of giving a stranger a place to park that probably makes the biggest difference. Practice makes practice makes practice. And yeah. so part of what I'm, for example, just 
a week ago, I'm going to be part of what in our Episcopal Diocese, which is kind of a geographic area that stretches from San Luis Obispo to the borders of San Diego in six different counties. But this Kaleidoscope Institute, it's a place where we um, create a space to have difficult conversations about race, about really things that that can 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 lead to emotional reactivity, emotional conversations. Sure, sure. And so, how do we have these rich, difficult conversations uh, in a way that doesn't blame, in a way that doesn't shame? But that just takes time and practice and trust. Right. Um, and so, you know, this is and unfortunately, we we we. This is not a ten ways to hack your anti-racism <laughs> conversations. Those are beneficial. Yes, they are, because it helps me for, you know, there are five habits that I'm sure I can develop to to get myself going in the morning. But for longevity's sake, for yeah. the community's sake, for right. humanity's sake, this, you know, if, if creation works in rhythm, uh, we're going to have to be patient. Yes. We're going to have to really be patient. Uh, and also, I dare say, and I may be saying this to myself, those who feel and know they can make a difference, we're going to have to risk getting out there publicly sure. to make a difference. And it sucks because I, you know, many people have said to me, you've got to write something, you've got to do something. You know, it means that I'm going to have to be able to, to handle criticism and not take it personally yeah and that's 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 just something that's a muscle i have to practice <laughs> I, I admit to i own that because but that's what it's going to take yeah our agents of love and goodness are going to have to risk being public well you know it's i <laughs> i've i've embraced uh i love conflict in probably a way that i've had to manage because i was a little too into conflict right. um, i enjoyed it too much maybe i got out of politics because of that but i think the um you know, my good friend Rob Bell uh, mm-hmm. has written some books that have uh, sparked ah. some conflict. Oh, yeah. And he, what I found interesting with him, he taught me a lot. Um, not that I choose to do exactly what he does, but the way that he likes to, to deal with it is just by not engaging it, right. by not arguing. Right. He puts it out. He doesn't even read the reviews right. or rarely does. Right. In fact, somebody usually has to, has to read it to him. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't read his own press releases. He doesn't yeah. look at his media. Uh, even though he gets a lot of it, and he says, "My job isn't to react." And he said, "Typically, the pe- you know he's writing for people who don't go to church." Right. And he said, "The people who are always reacting are the people in churches." He said, "Fine, don't read it. If this right. isn't helping you, find something that does." Well, yeah, I'm not writing for you, right? Yeah. And I think to your point, the criticism, you know, like when you say love wins, right. and that we have a God who repeats over and over and over in the Bible that right. this God just wants to redeem all things, all creation, all people, yes. everything, and says it over and over and over again. And apparently that message for some Christians is very revolting. Uh, you know, hey, yeah, go do what you need to do. Yeah. But what's funny is when you say that message to everybody who's been hurt by the church, everyone who's left yeah. the church, people who, who hope and wish and want a God that actually yeah. loves them and has this big, yeah. broad, inclusive love. We can't, it's so unbelievable. It doesn't even feel like yeah. something people made up. I think that's when you start to say, wait a minute, maybe that is a God because I can't fit it in my pocket. Yeah. Maybe that is a God because it doesn't fit in this box. But it doesn't fit in yeah. some of these churches that I've been to. I hear you. And I think that's where, that's where I think you, you get big breakthroughs because you get a lot of people who've said, I've had enough of that other stuff. Yeah of these these gods built by men to oh, yeah. control other men. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden there's a god that is 
is a wild, a really wild ass story that I'm not sure mm-hmm. if I can even believe. But if that's true, yeah. then maybe there's hope for this universe. Oh, I'm, I hear you, man. I, because, for example, even if I look at my own relationships, just in general, and right. I think just human relationships, if we can claim that we are made in God's image, right? I don't, or at least I know, it's not happened to me. Where I didn't ask my now spouse. Um, you know, if you can cook these 10 meals, then maybe I'll think about maybe settling down. So there's no scorecard. There's no test to pass. Right. At least with most people, I, I hope. No, no. And, I and so that's, why, would we, yeah. why would we think that of a God who is love? Right. Um, it fascinates me. And even just, <laughs> just, just, I mean, I'm in this, in this place in my own spirituality, in my own faith life. In my own prayer life, I'm recognizing better and better. God is a mystery, but at the same time, it's an immaterial being that lives outside of time and space and creates time and space. And is the ultimate consciousness is the ultimate example, expression of goodness and love. I don't even know what you know. That is very complicated to wrap my mind around. Sure, because because I'm a human creature. I live in time and space, and I know I've never loved perfectly. I know there have been moments in my life where you know. Let's test this, you know. Let's see what they'll do. Well, you promised you would. You know. <laughs> There's always that that we, but we're always fighting that. We always we I can't think stop why, doing those things. That's why scripture right. is so compelling for me because the characters in scripture is the human story. It's all about um, to, to me, and I'm sorry. I hope I'm not interrupting you here. No, but no, no. I mean, to to me, it always seems the thing that I love about when you actually read the Bible and you dig into it, the. Uh, the characters that God chooses are never. It's always the. Right. It's always these these uh, rich characters, right? It's people who have all these problems, right? But also some incredible, powerful capabilities. Yeah. And usually, the 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 thing they're 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 great at is hidden somehow yeah. because everyone said, "Oh, this that's Jacob, that's uh, you know, or that's David, he's he the youngest, or that's you know." It's never. Maybe only once did God choose Saul and, and against God's own will, right? right? God was like, like, fine, if that's what you want, I'm going to give it to you. But I'm telling you, it's you're, you're going you're to be angry later right. about this, right. you know? Um, and, and I think, I, to me, that is like, it's, it's as if God is saying to us over and over again, it's not a, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, you know, if, if we assume that Jesus was actually God yes. among us, and if that God then has the, the opportunity to answer any questions, and it's going to be in the Gospels. Right. Um, when God has that opportunity, and there's these black and white questions that the Pharisees are always trying to pin God oh. down on, how does God answer? He answers in parables. Right. He answers with these mystical yes. allegories and, and metaphors. You know, because I think, I think to your point, if, if God wasn't a mystery, if God yes. wasn't, he would have fit neatly into our anal- analytical tools. But because God is a mystery, and because God realizes that yeah. we tend towards these analytical, rationalist concepts, I hear every time we try and build a construct, God goes, wait a minute, let me just bat that aside for a second. Let's wrestle with this together, because yeah. yeah. maybe that's one more important than the answer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 and I want to reach back to the Old Testament, just in case people think I'm, 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 I'm too much New Testament, because I know people don't like the Old Testament, <laughs> but I'm fascinated with the Old Testament, because I think that's the closest... We get to the human condition today. For example, that's why I'm fascinated with the book of Daniel. Yeah. Because the book of Daniel is one of the only cats that I know of that is raised that that, that was raised in leadership in two different empires. Wow. 
and that fascinates me. So is that both so, the Persians and the Assyrians? Right. And so yeah. and so and what fascinates me is when he's captured and Nebuchadnezzar takes the, his God and kind of puts it on the shelf right. in a room. But what does Daniel do? He shows him. Because the because what Nebuchadnezzar does is um sends him to, to school for three years or four years. You know, you're gonna learn you're gonna learn, you're gonna study in um, sciences and all this and language especially and then uh, but then Daniel says I'll do all of that and I'll show you uh, but I'll keep to my own diet right I'm going to basically keep kosher keep, basically right. right not only just kosher but vegetarian right you know and he ends up being smarter being stronger and they try to change his name so it's just it's a fascinating thing and how this 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 king pretty smart cat you know I'm going to change your name I'm going to change your cultural expressions mm-hmm. I'm going to change your belief system right and control you, and he's like, you can try that, but I'm going to show you. And then, you know. Because the, the king recognized the brightest and the best. Right. He brought the top talent. He said, we're going to take the top talent and convert them, kind of like right. kind of like the British did, you know, or many colonizers did. Um, I won't say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but but what Daniel showed him was, you can, you can put all these constructs around me. Right. But I'm going to stick to the core things that make this work. For me, who I for know who myself I, to be. Right called by my God. And show you how that, f- yeah. And, and show you. How that will break your construct. Not only break it, I'll be stronger. It'll be better. And it fascinates me. Right. It fascinates me. It's in, like in, a, in a, a, in a, a spiritual Aikido. Right. You know, in this, in this. In, <laughs> He's but, bringing it but, in. But, but, this, but that's what fascinates me about kind of maybe when I moved to LA and my first time on a big blue bus and, you know, I get, I order a meal and it's a meal for myself, the size that could, I could share with four people growing up, I guess. Uh, You've got a plethora of choices that are trying to maybe define who you are. I'm curious how you navigate that by who you trust yourself to be called in light of this ultimate love whom I call God. And I say that because I will always remember standing in a, in a grocery store in 1998, standing for 40 minutes in awe because I had to buy bread and milk and I just couldn't make a choice because I had so many <laughs> choices. And I, 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 and that's why my heart goes out to young people. You have so much choice in, the, in America. Right. Um, how do you build the tools and the strength to trust the deep identity whom you are meant to be amidst the choices and, and, and live through it? And that's why we need, I think, also, like you said, mentors and, and wisdom keepers and the elders and our heroes um, who say, I want nothing but goodness for you. Mm. And for me, that's the prophets. That's the, um, the, the, the apostles. That's, that's scripture. Yeah. That's Dr. Luke. That's Matthew. Um, that's a compelling story for me. Did, did, did you... Did, Leaving South Africa, coming to um, you know the U.S. to America, did that help you understand yourself better? It did, it did, um, because I got to reflect on my own South African experience and what does it mean to be a South African and living in this place. Because as a, I'm a black guy with a funny accent, <laughs> and I've got weird hair, and I usually have dreads, but I'm getting it back. But I've always, I've always been in interesting places in the states, um, and so. Um, I have fun with it because it throws people off because they sure. because is it true and is it fair? You know, when I moved here, the second question is always, "What do you do?" Right, uh, 
<laughs> and maybe it's just an LA thing. I don't know. No, that, that's a, I think but, that's a uniquely American thing where people want to. You're defined by your work, right? And which I'm is always the well, thing, you yeah. know, and it always throws people away. Like, well, I'm going to be a priest. I'm a priest, and it's like yeah. so. They'll either tell you all their problems, or they'll feel like they need to behave, which is a fascinating sociological, <laughs> um, psychological experiment. Because I'm always curious. Well, that's interesting. Right. Just because I'm standing here doesn't mean you can't have a libation or. Uh, just because I declared who I am doesn't necessarily mean I want to hear all of your problems. I welcome it if I can help you and I'm a listening ear. Thank God I was present for you and I was here. But I find it fascinating that that's the reaction. Why do people feel like they have to change who they are? Right. When, you know, even great philosophers to their own self be true. And so that's what, that always fascinates me. Deep identity, the deep I, who am I called to be? This is who we are called to be. A loving, liberating, life-giving in the neighborhood because that's the God of love that I believe in. That's the God, not the God of the gaps. Who It's a God who allows the earth to move. It's a God who allows creation to make itself embedded uh, in freed, every, yeah. ultimate freedom. Sure. That's why I admire the animal kingdom. I've always said this. I admire the man. Orca's my favorite. You know, I admire them because orcas don't swim around going, I wish I was a great white shark or I wonder what it would feel like <laughs> to be a cuttlefish today, you know. Well, man, did you see what that dolphin did? It was acting up again. I, I don't think they waste their energy with that. They, right. they truly are themselves. Right. And, and how would the neighborhood be different, Dave? Every 24,000 people in Laguna Beach. Right. After maybe I, I'm having a ginger blast extra burn excess. But a crack one. Do you want another one? Oh, yeah. yeah please. Here, oh. But, but, but if, if people trusted truly that they were called, and I mean, I don't mean shallow thinking, you know, I believe it on the shallow level, but in their bones. Right trusted their gifts and said even this small gift I bring to the neighborhood I bring to the table here I am I'm present my hand is up I'm not shy I'm not afraid I'm not I'm unafraid to fail forward how would that change the neighborhood how would that change the every streets? community no every community we're right? going through this you know um, one of the places well the I'll be a little careful here but you know I, we sold our company to Amway. It's a great company. It's been around for 60 years. But over 60 years, you build up bureaucracy. Yeah. And there's a transformation going on where they're trying to, you know, our, our, the culture of, of, of our um, distributor partners, of our business owners, uh -huh. is all about entrepreneurship. Okay. It's about abundance. It's about risk. It's about, you know, yeah. putting yourself out there. The internal culture over time had been, has become about scarcity, about risk avoidance about um you know about Balance sheets. about all making sure everybody's in agreement you know and um and so we just brought in a new ceo millen pant who's comes from big companies but has been an entrepreneur in those environments and helped transform them and so one of the first things that he's working on is transforming culture uh. and i think one of the parts that i've heard him talk about wanting to transform culture the most is getting to this place where it's small teams working cross-functional right. not not in silos taking on risk being a being be, making it okay to fail celebrating yeah. failure you know mm -hmm. in healthy ways but i think to your point and we talk about this a lot on the podcast jim collins is a great author about business okay. he was at stanford at the business school 
and uh, and he he studied why great companies prevail over time. Right. And he said that the reason they do is because of values, you know, beyond a person or beyond a product, yeah. right? When you're multi generational, multi decades. And he said, you know, there's a he came up with this. That was in his first book. In his second book, he came up with something called the hedgehog concept, which is how you find what this thing is you're supposed to be doing. Right. And the question we get that I get a lot is, okay, great, I'd love to go do the thing I'm supposed to be doing. How do I figure out what that is? Right. And I like to point out, well, I think it's where your passions intersect, what you're good at intersect, how you can make income, because right. then it's not just a hobby. But where mm-hmm. those three things come together, that's where you where you focus. Finding that is really hard. And I yeah. think the only way most people find it is by trying a number of things yeah. until they finally find the thing that turns the lights on for them, they can actually compete yeah. at, and that somebody else is saying, hey, that's really good. I want to exchange value with you around I that. I hear you. Um, and I think to your point, that's not how our schools are typically set up, <laughs> right? Failure's not okay. We don't yeah. celebrate failure in the schools, yeah. right? Um, that's not how a lot of our home life is set up sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. a lot of people come from families where um, there, there's a lot of criticism, you know, oh. there's, where there isn't a, an encouragement to go out and try things that maybe yeah. will be difficult to be successful okay. in, because it may be, you know, um, I, I listen you. to like Pete, Pete Holmes is a friend of mine who's okay. a comedian. He interviews a lot of comedians. What you'll hear over and over and over from comedians is their parents tried really hard to dissuade them from becoming comedians because <laughs> they're saying this will be a very difficult life. Right. Um, what they weren't asking is, will this be a fulfilling life? Will right. this be the life that gives your life meaning? Will this yeah. be the life that you can't stop showing up to um, versus the life you can't stop escaping? I hear you. Um, and so I think to your point, when we create communities where we celebrate risk, we celebrate um, trying new things, we celebrate mm. failure, where we celebrate a safe place to do all that, be yeah. seen and be celebrated, right. I think then people start to get to a point where they believe that they can have an abundant life, yeah. that there is this generous power to the universe yeah. that wants them to be successful, and that when they ultimately find something that they have that's valuable, that they shouldn't just hoard it, but they should share yeah. it with everybody else around I them. I, I totally embrace that because I know that, I mean, even at St. Mary's, uh, I've only been there three years, but you know, I tried some things in my second year didn't work too well and I own that <laughs> and I'm like you know fail forward yeah. but it was interesting um, having to work through some of the feelings of um, and uh, again it, I for me what I do is I, I uh, this is my own personal practice I recognize the emotion I recognize my reaction and I let it flow through me right. I literally let it just flow through it's me. a meditative practice right, right. I, yeah, I yeah. said oh Oh, there I, it is. Shame. I, I know you. Uh, Hello, low, Shame. Low self-esteem. Oh, I know that one. Uh, oh, oh, you know, talking, oh, yeah, low self-worth. Ooh, right. and that really nice dark one. Um, you are worthless. Oh, yeah. You know, and then I'm okay. I see you. I'm with you. You're not gonna. You're not gonna. It's seductive. I don't need you right now. But I, so I listen <laughs> to flow through me, and then I'm like, okay, how do we start again? How do we breathe again? But I think. Um, what I'm listening and what I'm hearing when you say that, what a wonderful invitation to grown-ups right. to show vulnerability, to show what it looks like to fail forward. Uh, I used to tease. I, I used to be at a different church in West L.A., and, and we would tease that that was effortless perfection. <laughs> um, uh, not that all of West L.A. is that way, but... You There's know. a lot of success stories in West LA. But some people can make it look, you know, effortlessly perfect. Sure. And perfection is 
it's not perfection for me it's practice makes practice makes practice and I so I really hope and this is what places of faith has always been for me um, a spiritual playgrounds of experimentation mm. because what I'm hearing in the culture shifts in corporations is maybe I should have written a book a long time ago but it's about storytelling yep. it's about trust building totally. it's about community huh where do we see that small group ministries uh, people getting to know each other um, front front page of the Harvard Business Review this <laughs> month is why criticism doesn't work right right Right. That if you want to help people who work for you as a boss, right. even positive criticism yes. makes people get smaller, shrink, yeah. Yeah. versus positive engagement, positive engagement, reinforcing the things you want them to do is how you get them to shift behavior yeah. and do, do more of what you want. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's, it's no, yeah, right and, and that's why I enjoy like um, this uh, thing called Family Systems Theory by Murray Bowen, which... which it's a way of studying yourself and why you react the way you do. Right. Based on your family history going three generations. And what's unique about this kind of work is that it looks at your family tree yeah. and the emotional connections in the family tree. And it's not emotional. It's not it's not emotional response thinking. It's thinking emotional. It's kind of thinking through why you react the way you do about right. things like money, intimacy, uh, family. Um, you know, so you get out of that ridiculous trap and circle of well you didn't hug me enough you didn't love me enough it's, it's, a cycle. it's like you know I'm already going you know take me off that pedestal bro you know I can only love you as much as I know how to love you with the tools that I have right that's all I'm a human being take you know I'm not a super dad or a super priest or super father Mac I'm just me but together oh you know, take your energy, take mine. Uh, hey, Rob Bell, if you're listening to this, maybe take some of your flavor. And <laughs> any any um, emerging Capital Marvels, I know there's some super women out there uh, because we need that, that stable thinking. Um, I, I love Sarah's wisdom. Um, I think we can do a lot of good things for people who are genuinely in need and it takes time because people are going to poke you right. People will scratch to test first. Mm. Can I trust here? Can I jump in here? What's the temperature like? Because we've just burned each other too many times. Sure. Man. And welcome to the human creature. And hopefully we learn. And I think that's, that for me, that is a genuine way forward. Truth and reconciliation for oh. families, truth and reconciliation for Laguna Beach, truth and reconciliation on a daily basis. I think there's a way, and I think it was meant to be offer a template of how do we contextualize that? What does it look like? And for me, that's why I'm excited about this new thing, not new, but Kaleidoscope Institute, which is a way of having sacred conversations. And so how do we take elements of truth and reconciliation? How do we take elements of where people had, you know, elements of people that have come before us whose shoulders we stand on and create a template of ways of engaging with that, uh, uh, of ways of, of honoring all voices. I mean, what does it look like in corporations? What does it look like? In a, what does that look like? And how does it play out in an entrepreneurial environment where people are hungry, but saying, you know, that, that your excess or Amway or whatever section you're in, if you're new to this, your section matters just as much sure. as the 50,000 boxes that were just shipped off to where Bali, I don't know, I'm <laughs> making it up, I don't know. But, but, but how do we honor um, all of that the traditions have done for thousands of years? Because it seems to be that's where we're moving towards. I mean, a 
blew my mind that you know top companies are all this guy is selling tons of books and it's all about storytelling and i'm like dude i could have done it for free I've got, a, <laughs> I've got a marshmallow bring me a right. small i'll take you to crystal cove i'll take you to main beach it's you know i'll bring my drum out and let's chat <laughs> when when satya nadella took over microsoft a few years ago the first thing he did is he made everyone in the company read uh, nonviolent communication and oh. and because they were siloized they right. had all these bureaucracies it was it was very there was a lot of infighting yeah. And he realized he wasn't going to change the company unless he transformed the culture. And he wasn't going to transform the culture right. unless he got people to stop pointing fingers and stop articulating what somebody else was doing in, okay. in critical terms. And he, nonviolent communication means when you, whenever you judge something in a statement, right. you're basically you're, you're creating violence. Yeah. Um, but it's, it comes right down to, and you know, not only was he able to turn around the culture, but the company, Microsoft's never done better. Mm. Um, they've, I mean, they've generated billions of dollars and, right. you know, they're all of the metrics of the company are doing well, but it started by okay. doing, doing good internally first to themselves so they could share good with other people right. so they could do well as, right. a, as a profitable organization. Um, now, how did you, how did you meet your wife, Angela? I, you, yeah. I went to, I was two hours late for a party in Beverly Hills, a mutual friend that we had and, and, um. I actually didn't feel like going because I was pretty tired and I was going to... Were you a priest already? No, I was uh, just got back from Hands in Healing. Okay. And then I was on my way to actually go to Red Shirt Table a couple of days later. What's Red Shirt Table? It's a reservation uh, to Tankanumpa, Two Bulls family in South Dakota. Okay. Uh, and it's Michael Cunningham and part of an Episcopal crew go there every year just to really be in community. And it's, it's deeper than just, you know, showing up and putting on a Band-Aid. It's really just being in community and stretching young people, especially. So it's going on pilgrimage, really, oh, wow. to the res and being there and spending time there. And at the time, I had long dreads and, <laughs> you know, I sounded like a bad joke, you know, Native American and African walking to a 7-Eleven. <laughs> people just don't know what to do. <laughs> this is interesting. Yeah. But um, so I was I was two hours late for a birthday party. I showed up and this this, this, this wonderful, uh, beautiful person was standing there. Her name was Angela. And I was just looking to be friends, really. I was not in that mind frame and that space. And so I invited her to join me for a Jumbo Juice. And she willingly gave me her number on a dollar off coupon Jumbo Juice. So that was maybe <laughs> providential. And after I spent 10 days in Richard Table and we were hanging out and um, she was driving a Jeep at that time and I was visiting her and we were just genuinely just hanging out and really developing a good friendship. I just, yeah, I next thing I know... Ten months later, I'm really in love with this woman, and uh, John Bruno blessed and uh, did our wedding. And thanks be to God, we this is our fifteenth year together. I was going to ask fifteen years, and and you have three children, three children, and a golden doodle, and a golden doodle. So yeah, and your kids are thirteen, thirteen, uh, Oliver, uh, eight and five. So two boys and a girl. So a thirteen-year-old boy, eight-year-old boy, and a five-year-old girl. As, as I like to say, the Indians outnumber the Chiefs. You guys have a full-time. You got a lot going on. Oh, div- oh, it's, it's so you're it's, full-time. You're now the rector at St. Mary's in Laguna Beach. I'm the rector at St. Mary's. So um, yeah, the Episcopal I, Church. I am. It's an Episcopal Church, which is the American branch of the Church of England, um, and. 
I always laugh because we have deep, deep history and the American Revolution and sure. most of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were nominal Anglicans and Episcopalians. The National Cathedral is an Anglican church it's effectively, the, it's right? It's the yeah. Episcopal National Cathedral yeah. where all presidents who are newly elected go to, I shouldn't say be anointed, but yeah. they go for they a show prayer. Up. They go yeah. for a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say that out loud? That's okay. They go for a prayer that's okay. service. Well, that's, I mean, it is, it's definitely I mean, it, the funny thing to your point is they all show up there because it, that is a, it's, it, it there's a yeah. reason there's a chaplain yeah. at, at the U.S. Congress, right? It's not because oh, we're yeah. trying to force religion on anybody, but no. it has been an integral part of the traditions of yes. our country yes. since its founding. And well, it's and one especially of one of true, uh, Bishop, I truly respect, um, and this is because this is work I'm trying to get into, uh, because at least I would like to contribute to it, is the, the Bishop of the Armed Forces. Oh, yeah. Um, and I've, I've always been, we've now included a prayer for all those in the armed forces. And that's because I was really moved at one of our general conventions, which is a gathering of church uh, work every three years. And I heard, I heard two folks from the armed forces come and say, you know, we really need help. Um, we need help processing the moral implications of war. Right. So if the church wants to do something, um, we would love to lend you, have you lend us an ear. Wow. Uh, so know that that um, I, I truly, I, I take my hat off to chaplains in the armed services and, and just chaplains in general uh, in hospitals. And um, I miss, uh, I was um, with prison ministry, a chaplain at Twin Towers in County Central Jail and, and just some powerful stories there, powerful experiences, and hopefully I'll get into that yeah, in Orange County. Oh, um, great. So. And then I guess so where I'd like to kind of, and I think this is a good place to bring it full circle. Okay. Um, I love to, to end asking people what's at the core of this universe. Um, you know, it's a question about gods. For some people, it's a question about energy or, or you know, yeah. some people can't get into questions of God as much. For you, I think it's more what what is God or what's at the center of all this or mm. what's uh, what does it all mean? Well, firstly, I know that we are meaning-seeking creatures. And as I watch all, all documentaries and things that I've watched, and even in my own experiences, I definitely recognize that we are built to be in relationship. Mm. And any relationship, whether doesn't matter the amount of work it takes. Relationship is love. And I really mean that. It's just, I don't, this is not a, 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 you know, it's not an eros, it's agape. It is, it is the essence of the cosmos. It is, it is that that binds everything together. For me, that is to my core, I'm learning better and, 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 and unconditional. And I really mean that. It is, are you, I'm learning that I don't mind what happens, mm. but I'm going to risk loving radically like the sower. Mm. I've watched enough HDTV to know that you've got to plant seeds a certain way. <laughs> and here you've got the sower. And I've had the gift of being in community it's in Jude's in Kona, Big Island. Um, and there's been some strange, wonderful things growing out 
within the crazy rocks. Right. Right. The lava. There's even so so you have this wonderful scripture reading about this sower who just was reckless with the seeds. Reckless. Right. And I'm wondering for myself, what does reckless love look like? Mm. And how can that make this a better place? Because I've just seen too much pain. Right. I've seen too much violence. I've seen too much ugliness right. to recognize and to really be at a point maybe in my own life, in my own journey where no, enough, enough. This is not who we were meant to be. This is not what we were meant to be. This is not how we were meant to live. And, and finally, maybe in my own faith journey, do I realize how everyone, especially Jesus of Nazareth, when finally said, you know, let me show them how to do this. They still don't get it. Right. Right? Um, so whatever we want to call it, an immaterial being, energy, even that, en- even that energy for me, life force, whatever, it look, whatever we want to name it, that our consciousness can understand. But I think an immaterial consciousness that is able to articulate and think, that is the purest, most ultimate expression of love and goodness, so much so that you had an explosion Mm. that resulted in life. Mm. For me, that is the essence, is the heart of it. So much so, I mean, when you look at even the, I think, what is it, the anthropic ratio, just the, the 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 way the explosion had to occur, mm. the maths had to be precise. Mm. Otherwise, you'd get a planet too hot or a planet too cold. So you get an exploding planet or you get a black hole. I right. mean, it just had to be precise. And for me, it doesn't matter how many... There had to be some thinking there. It was, it was, it was too good. It's too precise. Yeah. It's too spot on. There's a reason I think Penrose and Teller, you know... When they started doing the, the the physics, doing the maths yes. of the universe, yes. So look, even for this universe to exist, in the first ten to the thirtieth seconds, you had to have yes. these extra dimensions we don't even experience right now. And so there's there's all this space. I did I interviewed um, Brian Green years ago for yes. the Mars Hill Review, and he's a famous string theorist. And and one of the things that he said is, you know, look, there have to be at least seven other dimensions around the four that we yes. that we observe: length, width, depth, yeah. and time. And he said, I don't believe in God personally. I don't see God in the work that I do. Yes. He said, but if you're looking for a place, you know, there are these other dimensions we can't experience. Yeah. And so there's plenty of room there for something else. Yeah. And I don't think it's about proving or not proving God. But I think to your point, we've we focused on, you know, understanding wave theory, how yes. gravity works in waves, how gravity works in particles, how light yes. works, and how, how all these things work in waves and particles. It's almost like, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, maybe the true essence of the universe is, is, is the wave physics of love and the wave particles, the particles of love. That for, for me, because I don't, I, I always want to make sure, because it's seductive for me, I can get lost <laughs> in understanding. Right. Maybe at the expense of seeing my neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I always have to catch myself because, it, I, 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 because I love learning mm. and and i always want to explore why why well why does quantum entanglement work 
uh, when two subatomic particles become a closed system, they will always interact irrespective of distance. If one goes up, one's going to automatically go down. I mean, the theory of quantum entanglement just bogs my mind that 96% of things is, is dark matter or that light is, omnip- light is omnipresent. Yeah. Um, fascinates me. But there are people who are hungry. There exactly. are people who are in pain. Right. There are people who need to be seen. There are young people who are crying out for help. I, you know, when I read about what happened in Don Juan Oliva, um, in Alisa Viejo, that 13-year-old, any, any youngster who is in that much pain that they take their life, I always feel what a failure we've been at as, as a place of faith, as a human family, that we've missed someone who was in pain that was maybe trying to reach out, but remember maybe to lost in business. I don't know, but those are just real things for me. Um, because yes, I can enjoy a cocktail like anybody else and, and have some wonderful quantum physics conversations, but it does boil down to the human experience for me and that the creature is built for love, we are. Um, and don't get me wrong, the dark side is very much present mm. in us. To have the light, you have to have the dark. Right. Uh, Hollywood's made tons of money on that. Mm. Uh, so you get to choose. And maybe that's the work. Waking up every morning before I get my coffee, I choose goodness today. Right. I choose to see my neighbor. I choose to turn left onto grove or forest at that green light when somebody's going to block the intersection across from the main beach lifeguard tower again. And I'm going to choose not to give them the universal peace sign. <laughs> it's a small thing, but I'm going to choose. You're going to be choice. active making the choice, not just floating through life, not just being, you know, uh, I just have to make it through the parking lot, not just driving and being an automatic pilot thinking about the 10 things I have to do later. No, I'm going to be there. I'm choosing. I'm making the active choice. And I'm listening when somebody speaks to me. I'm seeing that. I'm not kind of building my defense. I'm not waiting to waiting for key words to park up. No, I'm, I'm actually holding on to every single word they say. And I'm conveying that. Because they matter. I think to your point, if you bring those two things together, when you observe a photon, a particle of light, I'm listening. That defines where it is. Uh, that defines its place. It yes. can be an infinite number of places until you observe until it. You right. See it. Same with a gravity particle, yep. def- and that starts to define time. And I think with people, if you just take, you know, we don't exist in a particle physics right. world. We exist in a in a larger macro world. It's how we want to observe people that come around us and listen to them yeah. and see them, if I'm understanding you correctly. Yes, yes. And then how we ask, not, not react to the what, but ask a bigger question, why? Mm. Why is that person making that choice? Why is that person? Because then we start to understand them and we're not just reacting to them because, from right. our point of view. Right. We're joining them in their point of view and that's when you have the opportunity for transformation. And for me, that means we're still thinking. So there's less emotional reactivity. Right. There's less defense. Right. There's less standing my ground. There's less 
this is my <laughs> point of view. I, I don't mean. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I understand. Said that out yeah, loud, yeah. I didn't mean it no, that way. No, no, no. I understand. Yeah. I <laughs> but I, I, I actually end yeah. up thinking through it better. Right. Um, and I don't know. Maybe I, edit, I end up living into that buzzword nowadays, empathy. Yes. Right. Uh, and that's because that's my other deep passion is ethics, philosophy, and AI. Wow. What I mean, AI. I mean, Artificial intelligence. What is that going yeah. to mean? Because there's going to be have to be programmers behind. And you, and you've heard it here first, by the way. I think one of the big jobs that we're going to be in need of is is helping people help elders deal with robots. You know what Satya Nadella says is you know the the, the reason you shouldn't. The reason the, the reason we should be afraid of AI is if we don't intentionally program the values of the future that we want. Yeah. The reason, and that's why he's chosen inclusion and empathy right. and, and lifelong learning as core values at Microsoft. The reason you shouldn't be afraid of it is if we do deliberately and intentionally program yes. AI with what we want the future to be. And I sure hope that the values that you're bringing to, uh, to Laguna Beach and to the rest of the world are a big part of how we... Uh, how we program the future. Of course, my brother. I hope, and that's why I believe artists, philosophers, theologians, creative spirits, entrepreneurs, I think all need to be part of the AI conversation because I think only then can we collectively, as a human family, discern how is this going to help us? Where do we want to be? Right. Or, or, or are we going to get stuck in what we are, what feels like anonymous intimacy at this moment? You right. Know? Uh, I mean, I'm, I've stepped off Facebook because it just, it was just sucking my attention. I yeah. noticed it's, it, it was, it was scratching at my ego a little too much. Ooh, how many likes did I get? <laughs> I got to pick it up. I got to see. I got to feed it. I've got to feed, feed the beast. I've got to feed my negative thinking. But thank you. Thank you for your insight. No, thank you for your words of wisdom. And and, um, and anyone out there, if you're in the Laguna Beach area, man, you know. Yeah, how do people find out about St. Mary's and, and what's going on? Um, on Instagram, we are St. Mary's. Just look for us on Instagram, SMLB. We're at 428 Park Avenue. And um, you're going to see me a lot in the neighborhood. This summer, we usually go down to one service, and I'm going to be doing Worship on the Waves. And so that's going to be most probably at Main Beach, but you can just you you can find us online. What I would like to we meet at ten thirty. Is that right? We've got a ten thirty service. <laughs> I at, do show up. I just at, not oh, every Sunday. Hey man. <laughs> when what I would like to make clear is that when you're not there, we miss you. But I get it, and I'm with you. No one's keeping score. <laughs> there's nobody. There's no cosmic. There's no cosmic scorecard, and that's for anybody who goes to any kind of church. I think. Yeah. You know, we just miss you when you're not there because it's community. I, I was raised in the Dutch Christian Reformed Church where we have a, a cute little saying where we say there's nothing you can't do so badly right. that a little guilt and shame won't make a little bit worse. <laughs> but uh, what I love about the, the Anglican or Episcopal Church right. in America is um, you know, I don't feel like I have to argue with everybody. And, right. I, and I don't feel like, uh, like anyone's take, keeping score. We, we love right. coming and we love the work that you do. And I mean that. I mean, I have to remind people when I'm, you know, when I'm out and about and they see me and they know I, they've not been uh, to share in the divine supper what we call the holy eucharist and communion which is a meal of thanksgiving a meal of giving thanks when they the immediate reaction is oh i was you know i wasn't i miss you <laughs> i see you it's all good life happens yeah. man i get it um but i drew i really mean it uh, touch me on the shoulder whoever 
if you're out there and you see me in Laguna and you have a, a nugget of wisdom of something I should pay attention to, of something that I'm not seeing in Laguna, or something, anything that dares to make a difference and that can make a difference in the sure. community, know that. I mean, for example, I'm excited. May the 19th, we're going to, um, Marie Plakos is a photographer, and so it's called Sister's Keeper. It's images and photographs of women in developing countries and little kids. And so I, I'm going to be reaching out to the community of this artist because I get a gift of being part of the blessing of the artists every year, which is a gift to be part of that because these are folks who put words and images to something that you just can't describe in such beautiful ways. And so we'll have a uh, this photography display of our sister's keeper at St. Mary's in the Guild Hall. And Wonderful. maybe I'll get some cheese from Trader Joe's and some Malbec, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> but just invite people. Uh, for me, I want to have a little bit more fun. Don't, I think don't fight the fun. Fun in community is a beautiful thing. <laughs> holy joy, baby. I don't know what XS calls it, but it's amazing we call it holy joy. Holy joy. Uh, not quite falling in the spirit, but holy joy. Holy joy. <laughs> you know, we used to say at, at Grace Episcopal in St. Helena, wherever four gathered, there's a fifth. We're not afraid to have some fun. I'm it's, ready. A, it's, a, it's a good time. And uh, we hope that uh, if you're in Laguna Beach, you take a little time to come visit uh, Father Mac at St. Mary's and uh, enjoy the ride a little bit. Mahalo, man. Thank you for coming today. What does that Which mean? means thank you very much. <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> this is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. It is an interactive sport. Uh, please send us your questions, your concerns, uh, things we could talk about that maybe we missed. We love hearing from you. Uh, and whatever you do this week, please be Kick Aspirational.